Well, church, it is a joy for us to be gathered together, to be able to worship. Uh, I know for many of us this week, we've been enjoying some, some warmer weather, getting outside and enjoying what feels like uh, some nice springtime weather. And so we hope that you are uh, enjoying that as well. Um, I want to make sure that you're aware, as was mentioned earlier in the service today, that we are moving forward, dialing in to some new things here in the life of the church. And one of the new things that we're going to be doing this month is actually introducing live preaching back into our Sunday morning services. And so uh, if you are sick of seeing our little faces on camera and you are looking forward to seeing us and hearing us, uh, in person uh, here for the services at the church. Those uh, transitions are going to be happening uh, this month in the coming weeks. And so we just want to make sure that you're aware of that. We want you to be encouraged. We know this has been a season of kind of a lot of patience and a lot of waiting. Uh, and as we're doing our best yet to be cautious, uh, we're seeing the opportunities to move things forward. And so we look forward to uh, joining you uh, on various endeavors of that nature. Uh, I'm going to do just a real quick review this morning as we uh, look at God's Word together. Uh, we've been reading in uh, Romans chapter 15. That's been sort of our, our anchor verse for this series that we've called Hope Initiatives. And it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we love the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in the midst of our church family right now and trust that this series has been helpful to you to really animate some things and to, for you to see the kingdom work that God has in store for you to do. Last week we were reading from 2 Timothy chapter 2 uh, with a message that was geared toward our leadership that we called Leading Toward Hope. And I'm going to finish that chapter uh, in, in 2 Timothy today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over there. Uh, the title of the message again is Leading Toward Hope. And the things that we've been talking about is this. First of all, you do not need a title to be a leader. John Maxwell says that leadership is influence. And we want to see every person in the body of Christ using their influence for kingdom expansion and kingdom work. Uh, every Christ follower has a sphere of influence for Christ. And so it doesn't matter whether you have a title or you don't, you have a calling on your life to be an ambassador for Christ. What a title that is that Scripture gives you. And so we pray that these messages will animate that calling in your life. And the, and the thing that we, we want you just to be encouraged by is that you know throughout history, you can see example after example of people that were often not well-equipped often the most ill-equipped people that God ended up using for significant and eternal impact. I was thinking about the life of D.L. Moody uh, today, and D.L. Moody, who never had more than a fifth-grade education, and yet he became the most influential evangelist of the 19th century. And I, I read this about him. I thought it was fascinating. He says, you know, God used D.L. Moody, I think, beyond any man of his day, but it made no difference how much God used him. He was never puffed up. said, even when everyone was ready to, to follow wherever he led, it never turned his head one bit. D.L. Moody would get down on his face before God, knowing that he was human, and ask God to simply empty himself of all self-sufficiency. And God did it. 
You know, I love that because I believe that God is looking for humble leaders and he's looking for you to be that kind of humble leader who will be emptied of yourself so that you can make an eternal impact. So let the Holy Spirit stir that in you today, even as you listen to this message and continue to ask, God, what is it that you have for me? What is my leadership calling? What is my hope initiative? So last week we introduced a few uh, things, a, a few points for our new leaders. We talked about the commissioning to them to serve in the manner of Christ. We talked about running your leg of the journey, uh, your leg of the race, and then handing that baton on well. Let us all see ourselves uh, in that posture. We talked about carrying the pain of others. As Paul said, join me in suffering for the gospel. What an invitation that is. And then we talked last week about keeping Christ as your ultimate Pursuit. Today we're going to continue on in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and uh, read with me in verse 14 and the verses that will follow. Uh, keep your finger there in that, in that passage of Scripture as we will come back to it several times in the context of this message. 2 Timothy 2 verse 14 and following, it says this, Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value, and it only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Again, keep your finger there. We're going to pick up in just a few moments uh, as we continue on in this chapter this morning. But the first point I want you to see and where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning is this. Paul is calling Timothy to safeguard his leadership. And today I want to talk about safeguarding your leadership. Uh, he, he says to Timothy, uh, keep reminding God's people. Again, we see this idea of, of the ongoing passing of the baton. Keep moving forward the work of God. Remind the leaders that are under you to do these things. Now, I, I do have to ask the question, uh, because we actually see it unfold pretty clearly, what the warning is. But let me ask you to consider this. What is Paul asking Timothy to protect what is it that he's asking him to safeguard? Well, if you go back to the beginning of this chapter, you actually see a very important clue because this is how Paul begins this chapter as he's writing to Timothy. He says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Just, I want you to focus on that for a moment. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. For each of you that are taking on the mantle of leadership, this calling is for you. Be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus. You see, the power of your leadership is not based in your efforts. The power of your leadership is not based in your talents. The power of your leadership is not even based in your good intentions. The grace of Jesus Christ is the source of your strength. And we don't always tend to think of it that way. In fact, I, I heard this quote from John Piper. He said, grace is power, not just pardon. We are, we're usually pretty good at understanding grace in the realm of pardon, but he says this, grace is power, not just pardon. 
So here's Paul writing from a jail cell to his spiritual mentor, uh, mentee, uh, his son in the faith, and he's saying to them, I want you to safeguard your power source. I want you to safeguard my protege, my little brother in the faith, my spiritual son whom I love. I want you to be effective by safeguarding the work of grace that will fuel your ministry. It can become vulnerable, and therefore it must be safeguarded. Now, here's the thing. Okay, so Timothy, I want you to be powerful. Leaders, we want you to be strong in the grace of Christ. So what do we have to safeguard against? Now, this is fascinating to me because the primary warning we see right out of the gate here, and it's going to show up a couple times through the remainder of this chapter. The primary warning that Paul is giving Timothy is quarreling. Quarreling. Specifically, quarreling about words. Now, I don't know about you, but I mean, to me, this is a little bit ironic because Paul was known to be sort of confrontational. He was a good debater. He didn't mind kind of mixing it up and having uh, some, some verbal uh, competition back and forth. But when you look at his life and when you look at his ministry, you see that that confrontation that he was undertaking, it was always in the vein of arguing for the cause of the gospel. And so now, in good conscience, he's writing to Timothy and he's saying, if you want to be able to be everything that God is calling you to be as a leader, if you want to lead effectively, I want you to be on guard against quarreling. Now again, it, it sounds sort of trite. I mean, these are the things that we scold our kids for, right? You know, quit, quit bickering at the dinner table or something like that. But we're going to see that there is a very serious element to this that will absolutely make or break our leadership as we uh, strive to lead in the manner of Christ. In fact, I would say it this way. A surefire way to limit the scope of your leadership is to become quarrelsome about things that do not have eternal value. Let me say it to you again. A surefire way to limit the scope of your leadership is to become quarrelsome about things that do not have eternal value. I want to give you sort of three dangers in this realm. Again, I think this is very practical. I think it will help you no matter what station God has called you to lead in right now. These three dangers and being on guard against them will help you to safeguard the work of grace that Christ is doing in you. So the first one is this. I want you to be careful of the danger of always being right. Now I know some of you are gifted and you are gifted to be right most of the time. You know the danger about that is this. You're so used to being right that when you try to convince someone who's used to being right that they might possibly be wrong, that can actually be very difficult. Some of you know what that means, and, and you've had that experience uh, perhaps in your family or close relationships. Uh, a great uh, resource that I'd like to share with you in this vein comes from Craig Groeschel. I actually follow his leadership podcast over the last several years. I would recommend it to any of you that want to grow in your leadership capacity. This will stretch you. It'll challenge you. It's excellent, excellent stuff. And so we have this, uh, this uh, podcast that's here. Uh, every podcast ends with this quote. He says, be yourself. People would rather follow a leader who is always real than a leader who is always right. And I find that to be very true. There is a danger in always trying to be right. 
Uh, so I would actually encourage you to take a look at that. Uh, really good materials that are there. That's one of the, the sources that I go to to sharpen my leadership skills, and I think you would do well uh, if you have the opportunity to do that. But what, what is the danger of, of always being right? Well, there, there's a couple of things that, that stand out to me. Number one, we see in verse 15, actually, the, the, the counter uh, point to this. In verse 15, Paul says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. I wonder if Paul knew that the, the fool's errand of trying to present yourself as one approved to everybody actually simply causes you to lead out of this fear of man or fear of other people. And that is a terrible way for you to be effective for the kingdom of God. When you feel that everybody is grading your paper and you're trying to get A's all over the place, you'll exhaust yourself trying to please everyone else. Paul knows this, and so he says to, to Timothy, listen, you know, this whole idea of trying to always be right, be right before God. Be approved before God. Be the kind of leader who knows how to handle the things of God and the Word of God, and you'll find yourself in the right, pleasing the right audience and not chasing a fool's errand. The second danger is this. I want to talk about the danger of harboring a critical spirit. Now, th this is huge. I think if we can get our minds around this, the, all of these things are just incredible game changers in the spirit and the atmosphere of whatever organization you want to be a part of, including a healthy church. The danger of harboring a critical spirit. And I would contrast this with what I like to call having a critical eye. So we say this to our staff on a regular, relatively regular basis and our leaders. We want to have a critical eye and not a critical spirit. A critical spirit is a knee-jerk reaction to point out flaws. It's actually just a bad habit to assume negativity. It will assume the worst. So all you gotta do is walk in the room and you say, something's wrong, I'll just figure out what it is. That's a bad spiritual habit that will limit your ability to lead effectively. And so you have to be on guard uh, on uh, the understanding the danger of harboring a critical spirit Find to have a critical eye. In fact, we said this, um, we had a little bit of fun with this because at our annual meeting, I said kind of off the cuff as we were looking at our annual reports, uh, Chad, I know, has a good critical eye for attention and he had gone through very thoroughly and other people as well. And I made the comment to say, if anybody can find a, uh, an error in this, a proofreading error, um, Chad will give a donation to the, uh, to the Great Commission Fund. I think I said, I think I gave him a $50 donation or something. He gladly uh, received that challenge. And that has actually resulted in some slightly hilarious and, and just very uh, entertaining and uplifting critical eye kind of conversations back and forth with many of you. I don't think I had any idea the level of expertise we had in our church family and the ability to find those critical eye things. But I love it. It's in the spirit of saying, how do we make things better. And actually what we found is that the document was really in pretty good shape for the most part, so Chad was, was sitting pretty. Uh, but we had a lot of fun with that. Now right after that, uh, just last week in our message, I put up this slide for you 
as, a, uh, as one of our main points that stayed up there a painfully long time. And I know you're probably thinking, he probably just did that to prove a point about you know, proofreading or something. No, I just messed it up. I need to have a better critical eye. And so any of you that caught that or, or mentioned that to me, you did it very kindly and sweetly and with the idea of improvement in mind. And that's what a critical eye helps us do. Uh, it allows us to get better. It allows us to get healthier. I don't ever want to be a leader who says, I, I'm not interested in healthy criticism. I want to hear what, what God is, is speaking to me to help me grow. And that's, uh, that's what, what leaders should be doing. So that's the second thing, is, is the danger of harboring a critical spirit. The, the third one is this. Uh, avoid the danger of increasing divisiveness. And I think that's a major thing that Paul is going after in this warning to Timothy in this passage. Uh, in, in other words, are we looking for positive solutions when we disagree? Uh, I, I think as leaders, this is an absolute critical skill that we must develop by the grace of God. When we disagree, not if we disagree, it's when we disagree because we're going to. Are we able to find positive solutions to our disagreements. This is so vitally important, especially in our world today, when there's so much anger. You just take the United States. There's so much anger. I was just read, reading an article uh, from The Atlantic, the, the subtitle of, of which is The Untold Story of How Anger Became the Dominant Emotion in Our Politics and Personal Lives and What We Can Do About It. So, you know, anger and, and divisiveness, tension is at incredible highs almost everywhere you look, and the church is not immune to that. But everybody agrees that while having productive disagreement can be healthy and make us better, having division all over the place can really make us quite sick. So we have to be careful about language that divides. It's very easy, like when you, when you uh, follow pretty much anything online, you watch YouTube uh, uh, clips, you can watch, read articles, you hear incredibly heightened language that is very divisive. In one conversation, you'll hear people talking about, you're a racist, you're a communist, you're a misogynist, you're a xenophobe, you're a, a, xenophobe, you're a dictator. I mean, when, when the conversation is starting there, it makes me feel like perhaps the best way to settle that dispute is just pistols at dawn. I mean, we've really lost any sense of being able to be productive when everything is so elevated. And, and sadly, and this is why, again, I'm making this call to, to us as leaders and to our leaders here in the church because we need to set a healthy example. The church is not immune to this. There's a whole field of study to say, look, here's the, the latest false teacher. And as you read through people, you, you hear just incredible criticism. John Piper has gone soft on the wrath of God. Francis Chan hangs out with loony bins, must be a false teacher. Beth Moore is entirely too female. Tim Keller is too political. And they must now all be false teachers because of one thing and one point of disagreement. You know, this just isn't disagreeing well. This is just divisiveness. It's as if you, you sit on the sideline with a, with a bow and arrow and just take some shots periodically, but you're never engaged. You're never getting into the mix to make things better. You're just slinging darts. I think the enemy would love to see us embrace that kind of posture. 
But that's not, kind of, that not, not the kind of leadership that Christ is calling us to. That it's, that, that's lazy leadership. We want to be the kind of leaders who get invested, get involved, can be productive even in our disagreements. And I think that's why Paul says, you know, this whole godless uh, chatter. Uh, I, I would say it this way. Just because the chatter is spiritual doesn't mean it isn't godless which I realize is probably a triple negative in there or something like that. But Paul is saying you've got to be careful about the way you dialogue. You've got to be careful about this quarrelsome chatter about words. He goes on to give some examples in in verse uh, 18 and 19, but he actually says this. I mean, think about the the severity that, that he is drawing us to. In verse 17, he describes that quarrelsome spirit, that divisive spirit in the church, he actually says, and it spreads like gangrene. I mean, that is, that is, that is elevated. That is, you hear the seriousness with which Paul is bringing this to the church. So, so leaders, uh, as much as it may seem trite, Paul is beginning by saying, look, we have to be very careful as we safeguard our leadership. We have to be careful about that quarrelsome spirit really powerful, really significant challenge. I want you to now pick up as we, as we move along in this in verse 20. We're going we're gonna to pick up in verse 20 of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul writes this. Uh, he says, In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes, some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Uh, Leaders that want to grow in your effectiveness uh, for leadership, um, the call here is to mind the inner life, to be mindful of the inner life. Um, Let let me see if I can uh, explain it to you this way. One theologian said this, said in Timothy's day, People were intrigued by error, they were disinterested in truth, and they were allured by myths. Now I wonder if when you think about your world in which you live, does that sound familiar? Does that resonate? Uh, And so we must ask the question, what can a leader do to make a kingdom impact in a culture like this? Uh, And and this was the solution that that Paul is beginning to unpack here. The cure for a culture that is intrigued by error, that is disinterested in truth, and that is allured by myths is a clear presentation of the gospel. Now you might say, well, where does that come in in this passage here? Look what Paul is doing. He's essentially saying this, using the metaphor that, you know, in a big house you've got got different kind of containers. You've got some that are are ritzy, some that are are, are reserved for special purposes, some that are very common. You've got trash baskets and ashtrays, as well as uh, goblets and and things of fine fine dining. Uh, So when you have all of this together, what we see is is actually a, a, a sort of powerful gospel presentation, because here's what he's saying. Our outer presentation, our stature and our status means nothing if we're filthy on the inside. However, a common vessel that has been cleaned up can be used for great things when the internal work is the finished work of Jesus Christ. So Paul's writing to Timothy and he's saying, listen, 
remind the people to make Christ-likeness the goal. When, the, when the, the culture is all over the map and seeking things that are not true, make Christ-likeness, rather than argumentativeness, make Christ-likeness the goal. All of that tendency toward quarrelsomeness and division, it's, see, it's coming from somewhere. So we have to recognize the stuff that is in our own hearts that may be coming out of our own mouth. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. He said that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, if we're living in a world that is racked by conflict and argumentativeness, what does that say about the condition of the internal places of the heart? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2, he said, if I, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gifts of prophecy or can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, here's what I think is just powerful. You may be a silver, po- silver bowl. You may be a clay pot. I don't know what your, stat- what your outward stature or status in life is. But no matter who you are, God can use you if you are willing to let Him do the internal heart work in here that He wants to do. Some of you that are listening to this message, you have been looking for a heart change in all of the wrong places. And you're trying by your own efforts and you're trying by your own discipline to be the man or be the woman that you feel you ought to be. And yet the message of the Gospel is this. You don't get there by your own effort, but rather by surrendering to the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's why I love that example that I shared earlier in the message of D.L. Moody getting down on his face before God, knowing that he was simply human and asking God to empty him of all self sufficiency and God did it and God does it and God continues to do that in you so I don't know what your status is or what your what your stature is I don't know what your leadership potential is but we see this wonderful call here to mind the inner life and leaders that do well for kingdom impact are able to mind their inner life and let God do the work let's go to our third portion here second Timothy chapter 2 verse 22 and following we'll finish up Uh, the, the chapter now. Paul writes, flee the evil desire of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with the foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. There's that, that word again. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome because, but, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Verse 25, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance and leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And that, will come, uh, that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. We see here in this last point that we're going to cover very quickly a better and hopeful alternative. And I like this because Paul isn't simply saying stop being quarrelsome, but he's saying I want to give you a better picture. Keep your heart pure. 
Does that resonate with you, church? You know, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There are so many times in my life and probably in your life that we're saying, I feel like I'm not seeing what God is doing, and that we're gently reminded by the Holy Spirit to let Him look at the purity of your heart today. Paul says again, we're going to stay away from foolish, this is what he calls them, foolish and stupid arguments that lead us to quarreling. Listen, leaders, there is a time to simply say, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. You know, I, I, I want to just touch on this for just a moment before we, before we move through. Uh, someone was talking to me recently, and they brought up a point that was so powerful in my life. It was so helpful to me. Uh, we were talking about the fact that everybody, you know, everybody's kind of wound up right now. We're wound up about politics. We're wound up about COVID. We're wound up about vaccines. We're wound up about masks. We're wound up about race. We're wound up about almost everything. And yet, think about the things that you are dedicated to being uh, vocal about. You're talking online and you're posting different things or whatever. If they are things that you have no control over, if they are things that you have no control over, let them go. Let them go. It doesn't mean they stop being important. It doesn't mean you don't pray. It doesn't mean you don't write your representative or your, I mean, you can do all of those things, but if you have no control over it, let it go. Don't just keep arguing and pointing the finger and making accusations and defending your position to be right. Learn to let it go. Paul gives us this, this uh, alternative. He says, gently instruct with hope of repentance. And if we want to lead the way that Jesus led, if we want to serve the way that Jesus served, we have to understand that restoration beats correction every time. The goal in Christ that, that Christ had in being with us was not to be right, but was to be a restorer of that which was precious to Him. We actually see in this passage here, there's, there's actually a freedom of captivity. This is not just about you being right and winning the argument, but when someone is wrong, that they may be under the captivity of the enemy. Who, they may be being used for his purposes, and so by gently restoring, we set them free of that. Now this is, this is deep stuff because we've got to take inventory of our own hearts, but a leader that will be intentional on this front, a leader that will say, I know I am prone to missteps. And so I invite the work of God's Spirit. A leader who will be intentional in this way will see the people under them not suffering, but actually able to thrive. So leader, will you take that call seriously to embrace a better and hopeful alternative? We will wrestle with this as long as we are human and as long as we are alive, and yet God has given us by the power of His Spirit a better way. I want to share one last resource with you. Uh, this uh, actually is a leadership covenant that I would like to share with all of our leaders, and I would ask you to really pray, prayerfully embrace this on the teams that you are working with. This is something we developed with our staff right here at the church. The covenant sort of looks like this. We commit, first of all, to assuming positive intent and believing the best about each other. This is under the heading of trust. That is a decision in our heart that when I look across the table at another staff member, when I sit in a, in a, in a meeting or perhaps disagree with an elder or another leader, that I can choose 
trust. I can, I can commit to assume positive intent in the things that they are saying even when I disagree. Right there, all of a sudden, you've eliminated, when you, when you take on that posture, you have eliminated incredible amounts of potential for quarreling and for getting it wrong. Second one is respect. We commit to demonstrating respect for each other and for our time, boundaries, and responsibilities. We go into meetings and we go into planning with that in mind to say, look, I want to respect the work that you are doing, the boundaries that you have. I want to respect your time. So we commit to that right off, uh, right off the bat. Communication. We commit to give and receive encouragement, honest communication, and feedback, talking to each other rather than about each other in our teammates. That's huge. Just make that commitment. I'm not going to be talking about my teammates. I'm going to go to them, and I'm going to talk to them. The third, uh, fourth commitment is perspective. We commit to kingdom-mindedness, to intentionally focusing on the big-picture mission of the church. Uh, Dave Jansen, who was the pastor before me here at State College Alliance, he used to always say to us as a staff team, he said, you know, when you think that your thing is the big picture, you've probably missed the big picture. And so we say at the staff level and leadership level, we commit to recognizing that we are a part, a part, not everything, we are a part of the bigger and beautiful picture that Jesus is doing within the confines of his church. Church, I, I want to pray for you in these moments, and I want to ask you to receive this. The, this is some heart stuff that we're talking about today. Some of this is difficult to process. Some of this is, is difficult to see. Some of this is easy to see in somebody else, but not necessarily in myself. And so we need the Holy Spirit to help us. But I want to pray for you. And then after I pray for you, our, our worship team is going to uh, sing over you. And you can join in and sing out, but, but you're going to be invited to just receive as a blessing and as leaders here uh, in our church family, each one of us having a part to play in the kingdom work of Jesus. And so allow me to pray for you in this moment and we will uh, invite Christ-likeness over our leadership. Jesus, we are thankful today. We are thankful today that you have not left us without instruction. And it's incredible to me, Lord, even when I look at a chapter like 2 Timothy 2 and the chapters that follow it. Lord, I, I'm struck by the incredible relevance of your word to us, 2,000 and some years old, and yet, Lord, your word to us so incredibly relevant to where we are, to who we are, to how we lead, and the needs that we have. So Jesus, right now, over each of our lives, and especially over each of our leaders, as we bless them today, Lord, we bless them asking for more Christ-likeness in our hearts and lives. We pray, Lord, that you would stamp deeply on our hearts the image of Christ, that you would have full access, Jesus, to every place in our lives that we would hold nothing back from you. And Lord, for some of us, perhaps today is simply that call to come back to our first love. We've been doing a lot. We've been serving a lot. We've been pouring out a lot. And so, Lord, we would simply return to that place, that simplicity of our love with you, for you, and from you. Jesus, would you pour that love afresh and anew into our hearts? 
Would you fuel us? Would you safeguard us? Would you allow the grace of Christ to empower us to serve you faithfully and to serve you well? For we pray this in your precious name.